1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, I titled this morning's message, Teach No Other Doctrine. One of the probably greatest church planters that the church has ever seen is the Apostle Paul. And starting a, a church from the ground up is not an easy task. It's not just starting the church, though, that's hard. You know, you can go and start a Bible study and you, you can call it a church and you can start what you would call a church. That in itself is really not that hard. The hard part of growing a church is a church growing healthy, a church that would grow sound biblically, a church that would be an effective church in this world. That's the hard part. That takes a lot of work and time and investment in people. Paul was that kind of church planter. He'd go into a new area. He would start preaching the gospel there. Some people would get saved. A Bible study would begin. And then from that, they would begin to, to raise up elders within that church. And a church would be planted in that area. Paul, on his first missionary journey, I shared this a couple of weeks ago, that he came into the city of Lystra which was probably the time that Paul had led Timothy to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's possible that Paul even led Timothy's mother and his grandmother. They, they all were uh, uh, into the Word of God and, and into their Scriptures, but Timothy needed to be born again. Timothy needed to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And it's believed that God used the Apostle Paul to lead Timothy to Christ. On Paul's second missionary journey, Paul returned to the city of Lystra, where he met up once again with Timothy. And it appears that the church that Timothy was attending in his hometown of Lystra there, that they laid hands on Timothy and they sent Timothy out with the Apostle Paul on this second missionary journey. On their return home from this mission, this second missions trip, they stopped into the city of Ephesus, but were told that they were only there for a, a short time, not a long stay, because they were actually making their way to Jerusalem for the feast. On Paul's third missionary journey, these are all recorded in the book of Acts, we read that Paul and Timothy, they left from Paul's home church that was there in the city of Antioch. That's the church that laid hands on Paul and Barnabas when they sent him out. And they left Antioch and they traveled through the cities where they had planted churches on previous uh, trip, on the previous trips. And then we're told that they came back to the city of Ephesus, where this time Paul would stay with Timothy for a period of about three years. It was during this time that Paul 
was establishing a church in a very strategic place. The city of Ephesus was a large city and it was going to have a great impact on the whole area of Asia Minor. I shared two weeks ago that following Christ, following in the footsteps of Christ, or being a church planter is no joke. It's, it's a hard task. It's not easy. And, and like today, persecution in the early church was, was great. There was much persecution if you made a stand for Christ that you would suffer for Christ. The battle for morality in the church back in Paul's day was an issue. Compromise within the church a lot of the world creeping into the church. And there was also the battle for truth and sound teaching. The, the, the church was continually under attack. The Bible was continually under attack. The morality in the church was continually being under attack. Christians not living moral lives. Kind of sounds like church today, doesn't it? Things don't change, you see. There is a lot of immorality even within the church today. And there's a lot of attack against the Bible and, about the, and, and really against the very foundational doctrines that we hold to as Christians. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he spoke about his testimony of what it was like to follow in the footsteps of Christ and to be a church planter, to go out on these missionary journeys, three of them that are recorded in Acts. Listen to what he says about what his life was like. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes. You know what that means? That means when you're beaten. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, floating around out in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he says this, and besides the other things what, that come upon me daily, he says, my deep concern for all the churches. What a life. That makes me tired. That makes me feel his pain just reading what this man endured for the sake of the gospel. And he says, without all of those physical attacks and hardships against my, my life, my deep concern for all the churches. Wow, what a, what a changed life. That's, the, that's what God wants to do in us. For us to be completely sold out to the cause of Christ. To give it all up 
to pray for one another here, to pray for the other churches that are here in Winston, to pray for other churches. You know what? The church is under attack. Paul knew that. He knew that it was a spiritual battle. He knew that it was a difficult path to follow after Christ. I like what the pastor and commentator Warren Worsby wrote in the beginning of his commentary on 1 Timothy. This is what he wrote. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, and safe and safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. This advertisement that Warren Worsby wrote in his commentary, it first appeared in a London newspaper in 1900, and a thousand men responded to that advertisement. It was signed by the noted Arctic explorer, Sir Ernest Shackleton, and that was what made the difference because he put his name on there. The men were ready to go. They were ready to risk their lives, small wages, whatever, the the adventure of it all. He continued on, Warren Worsby writing, that if Jesus Christ had advertised for workers, the announcement might read something like this. Men and women wanted for difficult task of helping to build my church. You will often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the result of your labor, and your full reward will not come until after all the work is completed. It may cost you your home, your ambitions, and even your life. In spite of the demands that he makes, Jesus Christ receives the applications of many who gladly give their all for him. He is certainly the greatest master for whom anyone could work. And the task of building his church is certainly the greatest challenge to which a believer could give his life. I've been involved in the planting of three churches in my life. Two of those happened in the country of Wales in the UK. The other one coming here to North Carolina and starting Calvary Chapel Fellowship here. And I can tell you it's not an easy task. It's difficult to plant a church, to invest in people's lives. But you know what I would say to it? It's worth it. It's worth it to see people's lives changed, to see them grow, to see them mature, to see God use them in great ways. Last Sunday, I spent some time laying down, or actually two Sundays ago, laying down a a foundation for these two letters, 1 and 2 Timothy. And as we looked at these Verses. I really only covered two verses the first week. We just looked at the greeting. Paul's greeting as he would normally start out a letter. 
We read in verse 1, it says that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. It's how Paul started this letter. He starts out reminding Timothy and all of us that would read this letter, we're reading this today, that this letter that Paul is writing, that his apostleship, that it wasn't by his own will. He didn't choose to be an apostle. God commanded him to be an apostle. God called him to be an apostle. You see, that's the problem in churches even today. There are men, there are people that are self-appointed. You know, you can go online, you can actually get a certificate to be a pastor. But you know what? Unless God calls somebody to be a pastor, you're not really a pastor in God's eyes. You can have the license, but you're not really a pastor, nor are you an apostle, unless God calls you to be an apostle. Paul was not self-appointed. He had his calling from God himself. It was actually a royal command, as I shared, from God upon the apostle Paul. Why did Paul say that? He said it because it brings authority to what he's about to write in this letter, to all that would be reading, to all that would question his apostleship, that would question his doctrine and the things that he would say. It was important for them to know that the commission to, for him to be an apostle came directly from God. And not only him, but Timothy also, who he's writing to in this letter. Paul said this about Timothy in Philippians 2.20. He says, For I have no one like-minded like Timothy who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. Paul had his companion. That companionship that he had, that co-worker companionship that he had with Timothy, it was so needed with the Apostle Paul. If he were to send Timothy to a church on behalf of himself, he knew that Timothy was going to go represent him. He didn't question it. He didn't wonder what Timothy was going to say. I have no one that is so like-minded as Timothy. Paul writes in verse 2, he says, To Timothy, a true son in the faith, he says, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only did Paul have the authority as an apostle, but he also is saying here that Timothy also was a true son in the faith. And as I have left Timothy there in Ephesus for you, you need to listen to Timothy. That's really in essence what he's saying in these words. Paul starts out encouraging Timothy in verse 2. He's telling Timothy in this letter, he says, you need to rely on God's grace in your ministry, Timothy. Timothy, you need to receive it, this grace. You need to stand in this grace, Timothy. You need to grow by it, Timothy. You need to minister in this grace. You also need to have God's mercy in ministry, Timothy. Paul knew that apart from God's grace and apart from God's mercy, he couldn't do anything for God. 
He was dependent upon God's grace and upon God's mercy for ministry. Look at verses uh, 12 and 13 of this chapter. Paul says this. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. What do you think God enabled him with? Grace. Uh, He says, I'm thankful that God has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God's grace. Although I, Paul, was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained what? I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul was not just telling Timothy, Timothy, you need grace and mercy in your ministry. He says, I need it also. I need that in my life. He also wrote in verse 16, he says, however, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. A pattern. You see, all of you sitting here this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're saved and you know it, then you're sitting here and you're a testimony of the grace of God. You're a testimony of the mercy of God. When this world sees a life that has been changed by Christ, it's a, it's a testimony. Paul says, my life was an example, a testimony of this grace and this mercy. If we were to break down the six chapters of this letter to Timothy, Paul tells us his reason for writing in chapter 1. He's going to make a point to talk about that we need, that Timothy needs to hold true to the doctrines that were first delivered. In 1.3, it says, Paul says to Timothy, Remain in Ephesus, Timothy, and charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That's really the main emphasis of chapter 1. Paul also ends chapter 1 with a command in verse 18. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Paul saw church planting. Paul saw the ministry that he was calling Timothy to remain to do in Ephesus as warfare. There's a battle out there, Timothy. There's a battle for truth. There's a battle for doctrine. You need to hold it, Timothy. Paul went on in chapters 2 and 3 to tell Timothy, Timothy, you need to know how you need to conduct yourself in the house of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 15 in your Bibles. Paul says, I write to you, Timothy, that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. That was, we might say, is the key verse or the key topic to this whole letter, that we might know how we should 
conduct ourselves in the house of God. God's Word gives it all there. He tells us how, what is, how should a church operate? What is a good functioning church? How does a church conduct itself that will give glory to God? There are a lot of churches today that are not glorifying God in what they do and what they practice. And it's not all up for grabs, just whatever you feel like doing. We have to do things according to the Word of God. That's what Paul is exhorting Timothy to do as he left him behind there in Ephesus. In chapter 4 to 6, Paul is going to tell Timothy how to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Timothy was a young pastor. He was a convert of the Apostle Paul. Somebody that he had spent time discipling and investing himself into. And he's giving Timothy instruction. Timothy, this is how you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. He says in chapter 4, verse uh, verse 6, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, Timothy, nourished in the words of faith and in the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. That was Paul's instruction. If you want to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Paul ends this letter to Timothy with an exhortation and a command. He says in verse 11, he says, But you, Timothy, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The Apostle Paul planting a church, maintaining a church, having a healthy church, this was serious business. And it it was Paul's exhortation to Timothy that he would maintain that. These letters that are addressed to Timothy, they would have been letters not just for Timothy to read, They would have been letters that other pastors, other churches that had been planted in the area of Asia Minor, which surrounded the city of Ephesus, they would have also read these letters, these pastoral epistles. But when you think about it, looking back to the book of Acts in chapter 2, verse 42, We read that on that day of Pentecost, when those 3,000 plus people gave their life to Jesus Christ, when Peter preached that message and they got saved, this is what it says about the early church. It says that the church, after they got saved, these Christians, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in fellowship with one another. They continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread, which I believe is the partaking of communion together. They continued steadfastly in prayers with one another. It's been said that these are the four fingerprints of the visible church. This is what a church should be like. These are the things that a church should be doing. But it's interesting to to know that 
32 to 35 years later, as the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, a lot of things have changed. There's been a lot of corruption that has already creeped into the church. There's a lot of false doctrine that has already come within the church. In, in all of these years of ministry, and when you read your New Testament, you'll find Paul is just, a lot of it is correction. It's correction within the church, telling them how you should maintain yourself in the church. How is a healthy church to survive if it's just letting immorality into it? If it's not holding to sound doctrine, how will it be effective for Jesus Christ? The test of a true church is a church that is keeping with the apostles' doctrine. Now, we don't have modern-day apostles like the apostle Paul was and like the other apostles that God anointed. Those apostles were the foundation of the church. They were the ones that brought the doctrines to the church that were first delivered to them by the Lord. And so when we think of apostles or the apostles' doctrine, we're talking about the very foundational truths of what we believe as Christians. You know, Jesus is God. He wasn't just a man. He's God in flesh. Jesus Christ was put into a tomb after He was crucified on a cross. And He raised from the dead three days later and ascended up to the Mount of Olives. That is a fact of our faith. It's a non-negotiable. It's something that some people want to come at. Well, yeah, you don't have to believe Jesus was God. You don't have, no, that's a misrepresentation of doctrine. Sound doctrine. It's what we hold to. It's what we believe. It's the foundation of the church. False doctrines had already crept into the church. The Judaizers, these were... Jews that had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But you know what? Getting all of the things of their past, the law and all the things that they tried to keep, they were in circumcision. They were trying to bring those things into the church and tell the Christians, you know what? You need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law of Moses if you want to be saved. And they were really a distortion of the gospel that was first delivered to them. Paul had to deal with the Judaizers in the church. Paul, in this letter to Timothy, is going to urge Timothy to counter the attacks. Counter the attacks that are coming into the churches there in Asia Minor, Timothy. There's going to be opposition that's going to come against you. I recently read an article that was titled, Why Church Planting is So Hard. And the article broke it down this way. Opposition from the outside. Opposition from the inside. And opposition from above. And you know what? It's a spiritual battlefield. There's an attack upon the church even today as there was then. Paul is going to also instruct Timothy, who was a leader there in Ephesus, that he needed to be an example. He needed to be a godly example. 
You see, there's a high calling upon anyone that would be a pastor, anyone that claims to be a leader within the church. There's a high calling upon their life that they need to be a godly example. Paul was telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to maintain yourself. You need to be a godly example to those who see you there in the church at Ephesus. You need to be a godly example because you're going to be out defending these truths, defending these doctrines. You don't want to shame the name of Christ, Timothy. There are many men of God that have shamed the name of Christ by their immorality, by falling to sin. And we're all susceptible to it. Every single one of us. But we need to keep true to God. We need to, to, we need to, 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 in our own personal life, maintain that morality in our life. One of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter is found in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Well, if you read the book of Corinthians, what do you find? You have a church there that is allowing sin and sexual immorality and all types of sins to come within the church. And Paul had to address it. Paul had to deal with it in a very direct and in in some ways a very harsh way. Now look at your Bibles at verse 3. Paul starts out by saying to Timothy, he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Paul doesn't tell us why Timothy wanted to leave Ephesus. We can only speculate as to why he may have wanted to leave. Some have thought that maybe Timothy was discouraged with the work. And I can relate to that. The work is hard. Uh, But maybe... Maybe it was just as simple as that Paul was out going on, making his way to Macedonia. And maybe Timothy said, you know what? I want to be at your side, Paul. I want to be with you. I want to be ministering out there with you. Maybe he was thinking, you know what? My time here in Ephesus is done. Paul had already moved on to Macedonia after spending three years there. And here he is telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to remain in Ephesus. And Timothy might have just been thinking, you know what? I think it's time for me to leave. It's believed that Paul wrote the letter of Timothy to him when he made his way to Macedonia. And then he sends this letter back to Timothy and he's telling Timothy, when I was with you, I told you, and I'm telling you again, Timothy, remain in Ephesus. Stay in Ephesus. The city of Ephesus had a mixture of Greek and Roman cultures and lifestyles that were there. Idolatry was a big part of Ephesus. Uh, Remember, I I shared about the goddess Diana, also known as Artemis. That was a big part of the culture and the religious uh, system that was there in Ephesus. There was also the temple of Hadrian and the temple of Trajan that was there in that city where they worshipped other gods. Idol-making within the city was big business. 
The belief in reincarnation was there. The practice of black magic and demon possession was also prevalent in this city. Ephesus would have not been an easy place to minister. It would, not have, it would have, had, have been a very difficult place to serve in. Not only that, but there was this large medical school that was in that city. You've seen the, 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 uh, the, the pole with the snake wrapped around it in the medical field? That was there in Ephesus. That's what they worshipped. That was the same symbol that we use today. They worshipped that in in Ephesus, it was, it was the god of medicine. It was the god of medical practice. And that was another thing that was just rampant within Ephesus and even amongst all the other cities that surrounded it. Like I said, planting a church is difficult. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, when I went to Europe, to the UK to plant those churches in, in Wales there. It was difficult. It was really hard at times. There was a lot of spiritual warfare. And I thought, you know, when I come to North Carolina here, you know, I'm coming to the Bible Belt. You know, coming to where a lot of Christians here. You know, and, and surely it must be easier. It wasn't. It's not any easier. It has its spiritual battles that are here the same way. Sound doctrine. Healthy churches. It's a problem here even in the Bible Belt. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Paul saw for Timothy that the greater need for Timothy was to remain. I want you to stay there in Ephesus, Timothy. This word remain was like calling Timothy to abide. It was like saying to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to stay put. It's actually a command. He's actually telling Timothy, not really, he's saying, Timothy, I want you to remain there in Ephesus. I don't want you to give up, Timothy. I don't want you to stop. I want you to hold that doctrine that we first brought in. Remember, Timothy, when we came into the city? We were there for three years. I want you to maintain that, Timothy. And I want you to stay there until God tells you to move. We often think, as Christians, that God doesn't care where we live. He doesn't care where we go to church. He doesn't care what ministry we're involved in. You know, as, as long as we're in church and as long as we're serving, you know what? God doesn't care. I believe that He does care. I believe he has purposes and plans for where he plants you, where he calls you to, even what church you go to. I think God does care. And I also know that most of us could probably give testimony that we've made the wrong move at times. 
we've gone someplace or moved house or done something where we found out, you know what? I don't know that this is where God wanted me to be. We didn't hear His leading. We didn't hear what God wanted for us. Or we got involved in a ministry and we realized, you know what? I think that was, that's not where God wanted me to serve. It's not what He had for me. Or if you're a self-appointed pastor and you try it for a while and you finally say, you know what? No way. That, I don't think I was ever called to this. And you throw your hands up to the whole thing and you walk away. I didn't hear your voice. I think God does care where we're at and where we would remain until he tells us to move on. Remember when Paul was going up on his second missionary journey and trying to go further north up into Asia Minor up there and it says that the, that the Holy Spirit didn't allow them to go and preach the gospel? Or anything. Why, wouldn't he want, why wouldn't he want to allow Paul and Barnabas to, uh, you know, and Timothy excuse me, to go up into the, the northern region there? Well, because God had another plan. It was that he led him over to Troas, and from Troas, they had the Macedonian call and the vision in the night, and God called him over to Macedonia because there was people over there that needed his. God says, I'm going to redirect you. God can do that. He cares where we go and where we're at and where we plant ourselves. Paul knew, though, that after leaving Ephesus, and, and heading for that area of Macedonia, which was just on going across uh, the Aegean Sea there, that there were going to be teachers, and there were already teachers there in Ephesus who were teaching unbiblical doctrine. Uh, that the city was rampant with all kinds of religions and all kinds of philosophy and everything they and the church was affected by those things daily. They were already bringing up teachings of fables. They were talking about endless genealogies and confusing the Christians even within the church. Some of them were saying, you know what, we're just an extension of Judaism. There's really no distinction between Jew and Gentile. We're just an extension of all of that. And they begin to mix and mess with some of the various ways in which God has worked with the Jew and with the Gentile. Paul says to Timothy that you may charge some, and he's talking about these other teachers, these other pastors that were of the other churches there in Asia Minor, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables. Fables are myths. You know, it's people that want to spiritualize the Bible. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? Oh, you know, the book of Genesis. You know, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a myth. It's a, it's just a, it, it's like a fable. You read it and it, you know, and a lot of people do that with the Word of God. They spiritualize it. They say, well, it doesn't mean that literally. We're not talking about it. It's just, you know, and they begin to distort the truths and the doctrines of God by calling them just fables, by calling them just myths. And what Paul says to Timothy is, these types of things within your church, they'll just lead to disputes. And they won't lead to godly edification of the body of Christ. People just sit in there and they'll talk about all the, the, you know, the new doctrines and the new things that are coming around. 
It happens within the church today. Various doctrines that sweep through the church. They come and they go. Here's a new one coming our way. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a new book written. And it's a whole new thing. And the church gets enamored with the whole thing. And then it blows away. And then a new one comes in. And you know what? It just causes confusion and disputes within the body of Christ. It doesn't build up the body of Christ. Good teaching always leads to the building up of a person's faith. You see, if you teach the Word of God, if you know the Word of God yourself, you're going to be built up in your faith. You're going to grow in your knowledge of God. You're going to know Him better and it's going to affect the way you live. Paul says in Romans 10.17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Your faith started out this big the day you gave your life to Christ. And hopefully as time goes on, your faith is going to grow. And it's going to grow. But you know how it's going to grow? It's going to grow through the Word of God. It's going to grow through your understanding of the Word of God. Your faith will grow. It'll, it'll grow through life experiences, but it grows through God's Word and the hearing of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Sound doctrine by Paul was something that he taught daily. Remember that when he came into the city of Ephesus, that out of those three years, two of those years, Paul taught in what is called the school of Tyrannus. He taught in this school. People came from all over Asia Minor into the city of Ephesus to come and hear the Apostle Paul teach. There were people within Ephesus that went out and probably planted churches out of that city, and they were instructed with good, sound doctrine from the Apostle Paul, foundational doctrines that were necessary in that school of Tyrannus, and then they went out and they planted churches. And here now, Paul is writing Timothy, telling Timothy, tell the other pastors, tell the other elders in these churches to maintain that doctrine that was first delivered to them. Sound doctrine. And so I don't think that it was a lack of sound teaching that had come into that city. Paul taught it. Paul maintained it while he was there. Now he's telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to remain. This is a strategic city. There's a lot of churches involved, and I need to have a representative in that city that is going to maintain these truths, this doctrine. When Paul was returning from Macedonia to Jerusalem, he, remember, he had gone out, left Timothy there, he was making his way back to Jerusalem for the feast, the annual feast that would happen every year. He was on his way back. When he came back by Ephesus, we're told that he, he bypassed Ephesus because he didn't want to get held up there. So he bypasses Ephesus and he comes to another uh, city that's just south of Ephesus. And then he calls for the Ephesian elders. He calls for the elders of these churches that are in Ephesus to come to him because he wants to give them a farewell greeting. This is what Paul said to them at that farewell greeting. 
He says, for I know this, that after my departure, he's talking about himself, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He calls them savage wolves. Pretty, pretty direct, isn't it? He says, also from among yourselves, even within your own churches, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day, and he says, and I did it with tears. So now, brethren, he says, I commend you to God. This is his final words to them. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God's word will build you up, man. Stick with it. Stick with the doctrines. Sound teaching. Sound doctrine. Your word, full of grace. And you know what? When God's word is taught, if it's not mixed with grace, if the word of God has no grace, you know what it is? It's legalism. Any of you ever been subject to a legalistic church? Subject to legalism? You know what? It'll dry you up and spit you out and it won't be fulfilling. The only, the only thing that's fulfilling is when you have the Word of God and all of its truth mixed with grace and mercy, and you're growing in the knowledge of the Lord in grace and mercy. Paul is saying to Timothy, charge some there in Ephesus that they do not deviate from the truth. That they don't start teaching other or different doctrines. Or that they would not teach doctrine that is contrary to the faith that they first heard. Isn't it easy just to get off? <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of people that start out well, biblically. Have <laughs> you ever known somebody like that or a teacher? They, they start out biblically sound. And by the end of their ministry, they're not biblical anymore. They got off. It happens. It happens quite often. This word doctrine is found 51 times in the King James Bible. Twelve of those times are found here in First and Second Timothy, and then also four times in Titus. Paul says that you may charge some that they would announce or give a command. This is like this is like this word charge is like Paul saying, you know what? This is like a military command that you're giving to these other elders that you would charge them that they would not teach any other doctrine. It's not, it's not an option. And I, and I started thinking about, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if, it, if there was just some representative in the church today that could just simply call up all these churches that are off doctrinally and say, would you stop it? Would you stop teaching that? It doesn't line up with the Word of God. It's unsound teaching. It'll hurt the sheep that go to your church. Would you stop teaching that? And then they would just do it? Wouldn't that be nice? Okay, yeah, we'll stop. Yeah, we do. Sorry. That doesn't work that way. People continue on. And they do these things that really hurt the body of Christ. Hurt the believers that are there. It's why 
when I get up here, I want to just teach you the Word of God. That's it. Do you all understand why I do what I do in this church? Those of you that come here, do you understand why I get up here and when I open the Word of God that I want to take you verse by verse through the Word of God? And you know what? If I take you verse by verse and I take you chapter by chapter and I take you book by book, eventually I'm going to teach you the whole counsel of God's Word. You know what that's going to do for your walk? You know what that's going to do for my walk as I'm studying and preparing to teach you? It's going to have a healthy effect upon you. If I get up here and I had all kinds of messages and all kinds of things and, you know, 90% of everything I said had nothing to do with the Word of God, you know, that doesn't do me any good. It's the way I believe that you should be reading your Bible. When you pick up your Bible, don't pick it up and just kind of open it up and go, I'll start here and and just read two verses. The next day, you just open it up anywhere and read here. Pick a book of the Bible and read through it. One commentator wrote about the danger of getting off course. And just by just a small degree as a Christian, and when it comes to our doctrine, this is what he wrote. If you've ever done any boating, you know how essential it is to stay on course. If you steer just a few degrees off the desired course, you can wind up far from where you want to go. I read once of a shipwreck that happened because a sailor broke off the small tip of his knife blade while he was cleaning the ship's compass. He didn't remove it. And that little bit of metal pulled the compass off its true reading, resulting in the ships running aground. A slight deviation, if left uncorrected, can result in great devastation. It's true. Sometimes the smallest deviation from biblical doctrine can have Terrible effects in a person, Christian's life. Doctrine does matter. Truth does matter. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pontius Pilate, remember he was, had been arrested, he was going to be going to the cross. And Pilate said to Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus says, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Jesus says. And this is how Pilate responds to Jesus. What is truth? What is truth, Jesus? People are saying that today. People are saying, what is truth? Why is your truth any better than my truth? Why can, why can I not say that Allah is God and you say that Jesus is your God? Why is your truth any better? You know, this, this whole thing, what's, it doesn't matter. It, it, truth. Jesus says, my word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know people read that verse today? And that's so narrow-minded. There's other ways to get to God. No, you know, no, Jesus was very clear that He was the only way to get to the Father through the cross. Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
verse 15, Paul said to Timothy, he says, Timothy, from a childhood, from your youth, you have known the Holy Scriptures, Timothy. They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, Timothy. And then he says this, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine. Did you notice that it says all scripture? What does all to you mean? When I say all scripture, does that mean all of this? Or does it mean some of it? All means all. All scripture is given by inspiration from God. You know what inspiration is? It's not like a guy that goes and sits under a tree and he's, he's like it just inspired to write this beautiful poem. Some people look at the Bible like that. Oh, it's a book just full of fanciful writing. Somebody was just inspired to read it and to write it. No, it says that it was inspired by God. It was God breathed. God spoke his word into the, to the hearts and the minds of those that penned his word. It says that it's profitable for doctrine. God's word is. It's profitable for reproof and correction in our life. And it does. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness, the way that we should walk. That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word. It's why we need to know it. He also told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, and this is a warning, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying of the church. There are people that are actually hearing the word of God, but that's not really what they want. They want to hear other things other than doctrine. They want to hear things other than than really the truths of Scripture. They want somebody to tickle their ear. They want somebody to tell them something that will make them feel good when they leave this place. And there's a lot of churches that will cater to that today. Paul is giving Timothy a warning in his second letter that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I think that time has already come. I think we're already there. And there are many people. So what do we do with this as Christians? Hunger for his word. Hunger for the truths of doctrine, his truths of his scripture. Hunger to know him more through his word. That's what will change you. This book will change you. It'll have an effect in you. If you just open yourself up and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you through your word. It'll change you. It'll make you a different person. You'll learn more who God is. It'll dispel all the, the weird thinking that you have of who you think God is. And it'll reveal to you who he really is. I've been given, as pastor of this church, a great responsibility to teach the word of God accurately to you. And 
I believe that that responsibility is given to me, but it's also a responsibility that has been given to you. You have a great responsibility as a child of God to check up on the things that I'm teaching you, to actually examine the things that I say to you in light of the Word of God. The measuring stick is the Word of God. So if you hear me say something that you're going, is that in the Bible? Then you need to go on a hunt. You need to know, and you have a responsibility as a Christian that everything that you tune into when you listen to to radio and even Christian radio, and you tune into different people, maybe on TV, or you, you go to this church or you do this, that what is being said to you is truth, that it's accurate. You have a responsibility for that. It's not my responsibility to make you take in truth. You have a responsibility to examine the truth and to say, God, I want to know your truth. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.